Hello, Hyrock, and welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through Exodus, and in particular, we are in our fourth day in this particular scene that follows from the golden calf. And uh, today gets pretty dark, so just as a warning, and we're going to go into Exodus 32, verses 25 through 36, where we read this. Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and shouted, All of you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And all the Levites gathered around him. Moses told them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each of you take your swords and go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other. Kill everyone, even your brothers, friends, and neighbors. The Levites obeyed Moses' command, and about 3,000 people died that day. Then Moses told the Levites, Today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord, for you obeyed him even though it meant killing your own sons and brothers. Today you have earned a blessing. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a terrible sin, but I will go back up to the Lord on the mountain. Perhaps I will be able to obtain forgiveness for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They have made gods of gold for themselves. But now, if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, erase my name from this record you have written. But the Lord replied to Moses, No, I will erase the name of everyone who has sinned against me. Now go, lead the people to the place I told you about. Look, my angel will lead the way before you. And when I come to call the people to account, I will certainly hold them responsible for their sins. Then the Lord sent a great plague upon the people because they had worshipped the calf Aaron had made. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I maybe calling this a dark scene is um, playing it. uh, That's a euphemism, perhaps. Right. Uh, This is uh, pretty, pretty incredible. Um, so it starts off with Moses, you know, taking uh, taking stock of the situation and they seen that they had co- gotten completely out of control. He sa- it says here, much to the amusement of their enemies. And as I was looking this up, uh, a lot of commentaries differ on how to translate the phrase there. It said it's a very difficult um, and arcane Hebrew phrase uh, to translate. And, and another possible translation that I seem I think might fit better is not that the much to the amusement of their enemies, because there's no indication that their enemies are around them at this time. But another translation would be that um, the people mocked anyone who opposed them, which I think fits the context better. This idea that there was perhaps a rabble rousing element within uh, the people who were belittling everyone who was telling them to stop or or was not going along with them. And, you know, you we've all had kind of that experience, I think, where you see that there's a crowd of people that gets motivated by a certain element within the crowd. And if anyone tells them to back down, they just ridicule the people who are uh, counseling to have cooler heads. In any case, whatever it is, Moses then says, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. So this is kind of like, and maybe people don't realize it at this point, but this is kind of like a last chance of, of mercy in this moment. You know, you can come to the Lord's side, but it's only the Levites, one of the 12 tribes that, that comes to him, and they go through with their swords and slay 3,000 people that day. And as a reward, 
they are marked as the protectors of the, the ones who stood by the Lord's side, and they become the ones who, in essence, protect the temple. They are the ones who assist the priests. Uh, that's the, the tribe of Levi that gets then spread throughout the, the 12 tribes. But it's really hard to imagine going through and killing people who are your friends, your neighbors, even, as he says, uh, your sons. That's a terrible scene. Um, but I'm reminded of a couple of... Uh, parallel scenes in the New Testament or parallel passages in the New Testament. One of them uh, first is in 2 Corinthians 3, where the Apostle Paul speaks about a contrast between a law that is written upon human hearts rather than one that is simply etched in stone. And he says this, he says, he, that is God, has enabled us to be ministers of this new covenant. This is a covenant, not of written law, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. And so in contrasting the law with the spirit, I, I wonder if Paul even has this very scene in mind where 3,000 people are put to death for breaking uh, the covenant. But the way that the spirit of Jesus uh, operates with us is, is decidedly different. And again, so traditionally, the giving of the law was on uh, what became known as Pentecost. And Pentecost in the New Testament has a very different kind of feel to it. We see in Acts chapter 2 that in the day that they were celebrating the giving of the law from Mount Sinai, the spirit of Jesus then descended upon the crowd. This is after Jesus's crucifixion and resurrection. The spirit of the of Jesus descended upon the crowd and the worshipers were uh, had tongues of fire and spoken in, in foreign tongues and they experienced this miracle and we're told that 3,000 people were baptized that day. And so in the very day that they were remembering when 3,000 people had died at the giving of the law, they were now remembering 3,000 people or seeing 3,000 people brought to life in the spirit through the way of the spirit. So it's this living example of what Paul was saying that the law brings death, but the spirit brings life. And I think those parallels are, are really striking and, and intentional. And for me, whatever I make of the violence of this scene, I certainly think one thing that I come away clearly is that I'm glad that I that we do not live by the law or under the law, that God, it now because of Jesus, God judges us not by what we do, but rather by what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so that doesn't mean that the law doesn't matter. These these laws of uh, that were the Ten Commandments that were etched in stone were, were for, for everybody and seemed to apply always and everywhere. But in the end, we don't um, we don't aren't called to obey the law out of fear, but rather out of love and gratitude for all that God has done. And I, I keep thinking of First John, where it says that perfect love casts out fear. For fear for fear has to do with punishment, and punishment may be deserved. And in fact, I think it is. But we are spared of what we deserve in Christ, and rather we receive what Christ deserves, which is bestowed upon us. Instead of getting what we deserve, we get what Jesus deserves. But this is, yes, a dark scene. And Dave, I'm wondering what you think about it and and uh, what do you make of it and, and what Moses has uh, asked for here? Because he clearly says that this is what the Lord says. Uh, we don't get to hear the Lord in this moment, but according to Moses, this is what the Lord commanded him to do. Obviously, I'm just, I'm so troubled, right? I, I hate the idea of God uh, allowing, ordaining, you know, at the very least, not criticizing and, in fact, sort of complimenting uh, something that looks to me to be grotesque. Uh, and why does it look grotesque to me? Well, I think it's partly because I share the spirit of Jesus. 
Um, and I think there's two pieces here that are, are worth, at least it stick out to me as I'm just trying to kind of mull all of this. I think the first one is this. Uh, this is a reminder about how seriously God takes sin. And I think these days, because we don't take sin seriously anymore, we have made God in our image and we then imagine a God who does not take sin all that seriously. And so why is it that we don't really care that much about forgiveness? Why is it that the preaching of the cross has sort of gotten lost? Well, it's because who needs forgiveness anymore? Because none of us sin, because there is no sin's not a big deal. Don't be ridiculous. You're so old-fashioned. And and yet, uh, while while certain things have changed dramatically since this time, as you pointed out, that contrast between giving of the law and the giving of the spirit, uh, while certain things have changed dramatically, what hasn't changed is how seriously God takes sin. And the fact that God then came up with an equally serious, in fact, you know, just I mean the most horrific imaginable possible solution that God himself would be crucified. God himself would, would in a sense be separated from himself, right? Alienated from himself, that God himself would bear this, the punishment for our sin. That really is just sort of this preposterous, grotesque idea because sin is so serious. This is why such an outrageous, outlandish, extreme response is required. And, and I think that this, this is just helpful for us to remember that God hates sin, really takes it seriously. Uh, so I think that there's something about holiness here that is a helpful reminder for us and a real kind of um, rejoinder to, I think, the popular notion, even in Christian circles, where, ugh, you know, don't get so bent out of shape about sin. Uh, Jesus did not make sin acceptable. Jesus made sin forgivable. But we cannot accept we cannot receive the forgiveness of sin if we don't have repentance for sin. And we talked about this the last time, right? It was Aaron's inability to acknowledge that he'd sinned is what's going to make him not able to experience the forgiveness. We talked about that yesterday, I guess. And, and so I, I'm looking at this today and thinking, well, this is the same thing. It's it's unless we are able to acknowledge the severity of our sin, how much it grieves the heart of God, we're never going to be able to accept the amazing grace that forgiveness is. So that would be my first point. I think the second one that sticks out to me, because uh, of course I'm just so traumatized, or I don't know, traumatized a little strong, but I'm so scandalized by the fact that uh, 3,000 people are, are put to death. And yes, I love the juxtaposition. And it's like, you know, one of these things you read a book halfway through and wow, you think this story's going so differently. And then you get to the end and you realize, oh. And so if you stop the story here, you think, oh, goodness gracious, what God's doing. But then you realize this bookend with, uh, with, uh, Acts chapter two, you know, the, the 3000 coming to life, God, God's showing now this, you know, profoundly different way of responding to sin, uh, and a, a way of transforming us, not by our behavior, but in fact, by an inner transformation that, that then results in behavior. Uh, so yeah, okay. All that. But I think there's something else that for me, and I think, I think it's hard for us humans, for us not to all experience it this way, that when 3000 people die, it's over. We're never going to see them again. They're in the ground. They're done. But if we genuinely believe what the Bible says about e eternal life, then that's not the case for God, right? It's, it's okay, you are now removed from, from this arena, but it's not like you've disappeared, right? Because God actually can still interact with them post-death. Even death is not the last word here. Uh, and, and I just remember that because, uh, again, for me, it's like, well, hold on, there's no chance for these people 
to repent. There's no chance for these people to, uh, you know, kind of experience any kind of grace. But in fact, as we read ahead and into what Peter ends up writing about, you know, we talked about this when we were doing the, the uh, epistles of Peter, right? Jesus goes and preaches to the souls who are in prison, right? Is this some of these people? Uh, is there then another chance for them to experience grace post-death? Perhaps, perhaps. Uh, and, and I hold that out because I think it allows me to hold together the seriousness with which God takes sin and this penalty with also the consistent testimony of God's amazing grace. And I think that helps us hold those two things together. I guess I come away with it more just with the, um, the who is on the Lord's side question. Like it wasn't like judgment came instantly. There was, there was kind of a final chance to say, are you going to change your minds? Are you going to do things differently? And, and this isn't just like people who had kind of sort of investigated the faith or something. They experienced the the, the 10 plagues that that caused Pharaoh, the mightiest king in the world, to, to, to turn around. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They they experienced the miraculous feeding in the wilderness. Like they, they've experienced so many things. And they even heard God speak to them directly to give them these commands. And they promised to keep them. And so then in that context, it's it's... I guess the hardest thing for me to imagine, as hard as it is to imagine 3,000 people being killed in this way, it's even harder for me to imagine being willing to stand up against that kind of God in that moment, a God who's been so powerful and gracious and say, yeah, no, I, I, I kind of like what I'm doing better than than this offer of, of a chance to repent. And so anyway, I, I, that's kind of what's striking me in, in all mm. of this. And Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. Well, John, would you be able to close us a prayer today? Yeah, I would love to do that. Our good and gracious God, there are so many things that we don't understand, so many things that we don't know, but we seek to know you, know your character, know your love and grace towards us. And Lord, also help us to understand your holiness. If, if for no other reason than we can understand the tremendous cost that Jesus paid so that we might be cleansed, that we might be forgiven. Lord, I pray that in whatever way you might call us to change our ways and, and come to your side, Lord, that through your spirit, we would, be, uh, we would be responsive, that we would take seriously the call to repentance, knowing that you stand ready to forgive any who would come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, friends, these have been four heavy days in a row <laughs> talking about this, just this one grievous sin and uh, all the consequences it had. But that's not the end of the story. I hope you join us again tomorrow as now we uh, take a new direction and see new pieces of this chapter as it unfolds. And we'll look forward to seeing you then.